Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face, you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hello and welcome to Girls on Film. I'm Anna Smith and we recorded this live episode at Glasgow Film Festival last Friday, 1st of March. Enjoy. Hello, hello, welcome. My name's Anna Smith. This, as you may know, is being recorded for the Girls on Film podcast. Who's heard the podcast? Any, any listeners here? Yay, quite a few hands up. <laughs> welcome and welcome everyone else. Thank you very much to Glasgow Film Festival for having us. We are absolutely thrilled to be here. Our first panellist I'm very pleased to introduce is the co-director of Glasgow Film Festival. Please welcome Alison Gardner. Welcome, Alison. Thank you. Lovely to have you here. And our next guest is a writer and film critic for The Observer. Please welcome Simran Hans. Thank you. We will have another guest with us later, but first of all, we're going to chat about some Glasgow Film Festival films that are also coming out soon. And the first one is Wild Rose. Did some of you catch that yesterday? I, uh, gosh, yeah, I think we were all feeling the party last night as well. It's a, it's a witty, uplifting musical drama about a country singer in Glasgow. It stars Jessie Buckley, the rising star, uh, directed by Tom Harper and written by Nicole Taylor. And let's have a look at a clip. Your Lordship, Miss Harlan has put her childish ways behind her. Her children are living with her once again. Do you miss me? She is a promising young country singer. I'm trying to get to Nashville. Well, you better mind your tad doesn't go off when you're going through security. She now works full time as a daily woman. Hey! I'm trying to be a country singer. Nobody wants to see a convicted criminal up there. Johnny Cash is a convicted criminal, you ball bag. Wild Rose. Oh, well, I love this film. Simran, you saw it last night. What did you think? I loved it too. I mean, it should be said that I was always going to kind of have a soft spot for a film like this because my mum is obsessed with country music, <laughs> which you might not expect from a Punjabi woman, but um, she really was. And so I, I kind of have this nostalgia for, for that kind of music. And in the film, um, the, the main character, she's called Rose Lynn, I think. Um, she talks about um, country music and, and the essence of it being three chords and the truth. And so really that's what this film kind of boils down to. And if Jessie Buckley was not credible, the film would not work. And she totally is. You believe her every kind of step of the way. Um, she's so heartbreaking and kind of authentic and real. And you just feel for her. You know, I, I'm a crier in films in general. Um, and I had uh, quite a weep at the end of this. I did too. Alison, were you deeply moved? I was, it took me a little bit to get into it because I sort of sided with her mum quite a lot because I, because uh, I am a mum and I was Played like... Played by Julie Walters, which Yeah, and out, I yeah. was like, you know, you've left these poor children, so, and I was quite a little bit anxious about that in terms of how that would work as a character because who wants to side with somebody who leaves their children? 
and she plainly hadn't cared for those children and the burden had fallen on her mother. So for me that took me a little bit to get into and then it's a very, very good actress that can turn that around and put you back on their side and so for me she did a fantastic job of doing I, that. I think you raised a really interesting point because she is such a complex character and when did you last see a film about a female ex-convict who is also a cleaner and also aspiring country singer? There's so many things going on there and there are lots of really refreshing elements. I watched it a second time the other day and I felt um, that Sophie Okonedo plays her boss effectively who hires her to clean her rather lovely mansion and kind of tries to help her out and offers to try and help her raise the money to go off to America and to, to follow her dream. And it seemed to me, Sophie Okonedo obviously being a black actress, that this is a bit of a reversal of the white saviour trope that we see and that Hollywood's often being criticised. Mm. But, but I love the fact that race wasn't mentioned at all. No, um, I think her yeah. character was great because she was just patronising. Uh, for me, I felt she Do you think she was, was patronising? That's did. interesting. What I did you did. think, Simran? Did you think I, so? I think um, they, they do something really clever with, with the Susanna character, who is played by Sophie Okonedo, who, by the way, when she cries, I cry. Um, <laughs> she's just got that kind of face. But um, I think it, it's kind of lightly satirical. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, she is meant to be a little bit patronising, a little bit prim, like, trying to be cool. It's really um, satirises that kind of lefty do-gooder but what you know you're talking about the sort of complexity of this character what I like about her um, there's a scene with her mum when her mum says something along the lines of and I'm paraphrasing you never focus on anything you never stick to anything and I know that archetype that archetype is so real to me the kind of brilliant kind of fearsome woman who actually just doesn't quite have her shit together. And mm. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on the, this podcast. Say it, do it. <laughs> um, but she, she just kind of, she would be amazing if she could put her mind to it. And there are moments in the film where she has this capability, but she can't quite tap into it all the time. Um, and so I love kind of how that was drawn out uh, in the writing of the film. I felt that was a generational thing though as well. And obviously I'm obviously closer to Julie Walters' age than I am to Jessie's age. And for me, Jessie's character just wasn't a complete or finisher. So she was, you know, dotting around doing those things. And, and I found that a frustration. You clearly are a complete finisher, is that right? <laughs> yes. But I, so for me, it was quite a frustrating look at her life. And, 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 I, and her mother was the person who really installed that, that, that thing. You have got to do this. You have got to focus. And so her mother is the most important character to me in the film. I think it's, it's sort of, without giving too much away, people haven't seen it, it's towards the end, she takes a greater role in, in the sort of the, the arc, really, in the journey, which um, there's this amazing payoff, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's got this self-sabotaging quality that is really heartbreaking to watch, and, and, you know, it just ups the emotional stakes because you want her to do well. And, of course, the film is sort of structured like a, a typical musical as well. And so you have the show must go on moment, you have the, the sort of grand finale, you have all of these like um, sort of narrative beats that the film hits. And yeah, I think I just love it. I want to see it again. Yeah, it's definitely holds up a second time. I actually liked it more a second time. And I, cause I have to say on first watch, I felt it was a little on the long side. I, I would shave 10 minutes off this film. The second watch because I knew where it was going and I knew the pace and I was expecting the sort of coda, as it were. Um, it worked really well for me. So go see it. Go see it Absolutely. twice. It's out <laughs> soon. Um, we're going to go back in time now to something a bit classic. 
Who are we going to call? Ghostbusters. Yes, yes, yes. Right, we're going back to the original Ghostbusters, which has been showing here at Glasgow Film Festival, some special screenings. Uh, it was a 1984, of course, supernatural comedy starring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, and Sigourney Weaver. Let's have a look at a clip. I want you inside me. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I can't. Sounds like you got at least two people in there already. Might be a little crowded. Come on, I, I, why don't you just quit trying to upset and disturb Dr. Bankman and just relax. Lie down there, relax, put your hands on your chest. What I'd really like to do is talk to Dana. I want to talk to Dana. Dana, it's Peter. There is no Dana. There is only Zuli. Oh, Zuli, you nut now. Come on. Come on, I want to talk to Dana. Dana, just relax. Come on. Dana, Dana. Can I talk to Dana? There is no Dana, only soul. What a lovely singing voice you must have. <laughs> if you've seen <coughs> Ghostbusters, can you give me a round of applause? Right. <laughs> um, if you liked it, give me a round of applause. <laughs> if you've seen it and you didn't like it, give me a round of applause. Everyone liked it, okay, <laughs> good. But I think it's more complex than that, right? I mean, I grew up absolutely loving it. Don't get me wrong, I could watch it time and time again. But Bill Murray's character, okay, he's a little bit on the creepy side with the ladies, don't you think? No. No, you don't think no, he is? No, because he's just so charming, I'm sorry. <laughs> But he's basically harassing Sigourney Weaver throughout the entire movie. I mean, this clip, it, the tables are turned a bit and he's kind of freaked out, but he's still patronising her. Obviously, it's a great, this is all framed in how much I love Ghostbusters, but <laughs> he is harassing her. He, he is pestering her and he's pestering her until she eventually relents. And they're, they're teaching young boys that that's the way to, to woo a woman. I didn't feel that watching it and I still don't feel it re-watching it because I think Sigourney is very capable of actually fighting him off so I didn't feel I felt it was the chemistry between them that they, 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 they genuinely liked each other so for me that didn't feel creepy cool so that yeah, was that's my take on that that's just, yeah because she is fantastic in it she is really yeah. good and she is the strength in she the, is a wonderful character and you do you're absolutely rooting for her yeah Simran, what do you think? There's a really interesting video essay by the critic Kevin B. Lee. I don't know if anyone's seen it, and it's called Is the Original Ghostbusters Sexist? And it was made a couple of years ago um, in tandem with the Ghostbusters remake. And when you watch it again, looking for certain things, some of the original politics don't quite hold up. Some of it is kind of creepy. I think a lot of it can be explained away by the context of it being a horror comedy, and so the, the comedy is, is quite bro-y, there's lots of jokes about ectoplasm, um, <laughs> but also the, the horror element, there is, that's a very common trope for women being stalked, women being possessed, kind of, a, sort of sexual threat looming as well. Um, but th there are moments in this film that actually, you know, watching it as an adult, um, they're not quite inoculated by nostalgia completely for me. I, I mean, I, I like this film. I wasn't mad about it growing up. It wasn't one of the ones I, I rewatched loads. That was really for me, Indiana Jones. Um, but yeah, there are there are a couple of, of moments that are a little bit uncomfortable. And you know, when she first gets possessed by the the ghost, um, it's quite a gropey, violent scene. Like the hands kind oh, of yeah. grab her breasts, and they one springs up between her legs. It's, you know, there's like an edge of, of, of threat there. Um, and in this video essay, they kind of break down the, the six female characters in the film. Um, and I think there's there's a librarian, there's a maid, 
Um, there's a female student who Bill Murray's character kind of hits on. Yeah. There's an estate agent who doesn't talk um, or barely talks. And then there's Janine, the receptionist, and, uh, and Dana, of course. So it's not great on, on kind of roles for women. That doesn't necessarily have to spoil the film. I think you can still enjoy it. I think it's still funny. It's still iconic in a lot of ways. But, you know, watching it again, it didn't quite sit the same for me. So Jason Reitman is going to be doing a sequel, so the son of the original director, Ivan, and of course he gave his young adult and Juno and such like. Alison, what are your hopes for that? Are you looking forward to that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> not sure. I'm, I'm genuinely not sure, because I always find remake things, you know, although I did love the new Ghostbusters, and I absolutely could not understand what the whole fuss was about. Um, weirdly enough, we when we did Ghostbusters at the festival, and it, there was a children's screening, which was completely sold out, and I was like saying to people, you know, there's some inappropriate scenes here. <laughs> um, so parents obviously had no concerns whatsoever. So a remake for me, I think, uh, I, would, I would watch it, but I don't hold out great hopes. And why are we doing it, right? Mm. You know, there's not, we don't need it. I don't understand why, um, you know, there's this urge to kind of recreate stuff that already exists rather than making something new. And I don't think that, you know, I, I quite like the all-female um, gender-flipped Ghostbusters, but I'm not sure that that's necessary to kind of correct the mm. sexism of the first one. Um, I think it's a pretty funny, entertaining movie in its own right, but I personally don't need a sequel. Yeah, and I don't need the sequel to be directed by another man either. Yeah, well, that's it, isn't it? And as much as I love, um, you know, his work, I think when you say, you know, why do they remake things and use familiar things? Well, it's money, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's exactly it's familiarity. Why take a risk on a new original story when you can rehash something that everyone loves already and is going to go and see whatever the critics say, right? But obviously, I was around. When the ghost, then during the times, then obviously a lot of you are very young, but you know some of us changed. weren't even born. Oh, oh, sorry, me. sorry. <laughs> so for me, obviously I grew up through the seventies, all very sexist. So it's really hard to look at films from the past through the prism of modern eyes because we weren't doing things in the way that we should be doing that we are looking at things now. It's hard to reevaluate those films. It's the same with things like um, Breakfast at Tiffany's or Gone with the Wind. People say, why are you showing this? And I say, but you're not thinking about it in a historical context. So when we show those films at the cinema, we give people the historical context because I don't want to deny people the right to see that. It's not my job to do that. I've got to give people the opportunity, but we understand what the problems are, but that doesn't mean that we are then policing it and saying you can't see it. Yeah. No, and so much great art came out of a period like the 70s. I mean, those films can be two, two things at once. They can be sexist and they can be brilliant. And it's okay for something to kind of not hold up politically as long as you're able to kind of notice it, right? I think that's it, exactly right. I mean, I'd hate to think that people wouldn't show their kids Ghostbusters because of the criticisms that I just made. But as you, as you said, to frame it and to say, look, this is a bit old fashioned, it's not okay, but it's still really good fun. <laughs> yeah, okay, that was Ghostbusters. So next up, we've got a current release, which is also at Glasgow Film Festival, The Kindergarten Teacher. Uh, so this is Sarah Colangelo's remake of an Israeli film. Maggie Gyllenhaal plays a teacher and an aspiring poet who becomes fixated on the young boy she thinks is a prodigy. Let's have a look at the trailer. 
The sun hits the yellow house. It's almost like a sign from God. Was that a poem? <laughs> that was a poem. The sun hits her yellow house. It is almost like a sign from God. Wow. With so few elements, you, you make something very, very complex. I think we have a young Mozart. Jimmy, when you have a poem in your head, will you come to me? I've asked Jimmy to recite a few of his poems at a poetry reading. Forget it. Thursday, he has baseball practice with his friend. He's gifted, Mr. Roy. Anything simple at this age. Jimmy, hi, it's Lisa. Why are you calling me? Mozart was nurtured by kings and queens. It's almost like a sign from God. Why are you upset? I loved it. That's the kindergarten teacher, um, Maggie Gyllenhaal, obviously fantastic performer, and thought this was such a subtle, sophisticated film that you're never quite sure what direction it's going to go. I mean, what genre would you put this in, Alison? Um, I felt slightly... I saw it um, at Toronto Film Festival and my shoulders kept getting higher and higher and higher, and I was like, oh, I'm really tense, I don't know what's going to go on. And I was like, I didn't know where it was going to go, so for me, that's I really enjoyed that element of it. It wasn't obvious. I didn't like her at all. Then I sort of changed my opinion, then I went back once I saw the ending and I was like, I'm still not sure. And I, it was one I definitely would watch again. So you said you didn't like her. I mean, she gets quite obsessed with the boy and his Very. talent. He's written this poem, which, or has he written this poem? You think, yeah, there's a lot of questions in it. He recites something and she thinks this is a sign that he's incredibly talented. And she, she develops a singularity of vision, doesn't she? And perhaps sublimates all her own desires and her own ambitions into this, so this child. Yes, yeah. and I felt that she was using this child to fulfill some ambition that she was unsaid in her, that she, she felt unhappy with the world, the general, the way the world was going. And she just really was using that child to funnel all her adult fears, changes, ambitions. And that's what made me uncomfortable. But it's definitely a film I would watch again. Siran, what did you think of the character? The great uh, female film critic Jessica Kiang. I don't know if anybody knows her work. She writes for The Playlist and Variety. If you don't know her work, you should read it. She's incredible. And she, she wrote about this film and she um, used the words compassion and revulsion to describe what you feel for this character. And I think the clever dance that this film does is that it kind of zigzags both ways. It makes you feel both things. It's absolutely terrifying and creepy. And for me, the film plays entirely like a thriller, especially the kind of denouement at the end. Also, I felt sorry for her and I, I felt empathy. And, um, you know, I, I feel like it's hard to, to kind of get on board with, with some of the, the choices that she makes in the film. I, I understand, Alison, why you don't like her. Um, you know, she calls uh, this five-year-old kid on the phone. She gives him her like private phone number and she rings him and I'm just like, don't do that, please don't do that. And just other kind of moments like that where she just seems to overstep completely. And the film kind of tricks you or cajoles you into thinking that you know her intentions are quite pure and, and she does kind of believe in this child's kind of special abilities. She does have this nurturing element to her character. Um, and you know her poetry teacher in, in the film is, it should be said, uh, played by the extremely gorgeous and short king, uh, Gail Garcia Bernal. And I'm like, he's right there. 
that's Gail Garcia Bernal, like trying to ask you out on a date and like yeah. hang out with you and develop <laughs> your poems. And you're obsessed with this five-year-old child. It's very confusing. That's to why you lost sympathy. I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but yeah, I think it's a total testament to to Maggie Gyllenhaal for making you kind of root for for her in a way mm. and and you know feel for her, but also um, it doesn't necessarily condone the behaviour either. The inappropriateness of it was so eye-watering for me I was like you know because you know she bypasses the parents and she just goes her way own way and I was just like god take a step back please I, th I agree Samantha I think you do actually feel quite a lot of sympathy for her and you are sort of understanding where she's going wrong but I just kind of felt that she had mental obviously mental health problems and was mm. kind of yeah going down down the wrong direction and sort of fixating on the wrong thing I would definitely recommend the kindergarten teacher would you recommend it Yes, definitely. Yes. Um, we're going to be showing it at Glasgow Film Theatre later on, uh, so please tell all your friends. Yes, I'm seconding that. <laughs> I'm thirding it. Go see it. <laughs> great. Um, now we're going to welcome someone else onto the stage. It is the great director, Sasha Pollock. Join us, please. <laughs> Hello, Sasha. Hello. Welcome to Girls on Film. It's wonderful to have you here. We're big fans mm. of your film, Dirty God. We've Thank already you. reviewed it <laughs> on, a, on a previous podcast. Okay. Um, but talk to me a little bit about filming in the UK. How was that for you? Because obviously you previously worked in other countries. I really liked it. I thought it was really inspiring also to, to go to another country and to, yeah, you sort of see everything with fresh new eyes. Um, and I liked that a lot. And Vicky is such an amazing find because obviously she plays a survivor of an acid attack. Mm -hmm. And how, how was the process of finding her for you? Um, I wanted to work with a real burn survivor, so uh, I asked Lucy Party, uh, the casting director, who also did like all Andrea Arnold films and is really good in street casting, to yeah, is there a girl like like this with real scars from the right area who who can act and, and find her for me? Um, so very early on in the process, uh, Lucy found Vicky, uh, but Vicky was not at all interested in playing in a, in a film because she was in a television program that they didn't tell her the title of, but it was called uh, Too Ugly for Love. Um, wow. So she felt completely humiliated and uh, didn't want to do anything with film or television ever again. So Lucy sort of stalked her for about a year and then <laughs> finally she uh, agreed to meet me uh, and I completely uh, yeah, was blown away by her. her beauty and her sort of boldness and, and uh, uh, I, I completely loved her immediately. One of the things that, that we picked up last time we spoke about this on Girls on Film was that it's a very frank and honest and non-judgmental portrayal of female sexuality mm -hmm. and that's something you seem to have touched on in, in your other films, Zurich and Hemel. Is that something that just comes naturally? Is there something you, that you are, think is very important to you to put that on film? For Dirty God it was important that I mean, the, the character Jade, uh, she's, she's afraid of real uh, contact with human beings. So she goes online into this world to have internet sex and connect with people. And uh, while doing this, she sort of regains her confidence and it's liberating for her. For me, I, I wanted to show that, that you have this feeling that internet sex can be sort of a dirty, scary world. But for her, it's sort of, yeah. It strengthens her. In the end, it all turns sour. But but for a little while, she sort of, 
yeah, she connects with people and she, uh, yeah, she's not, she can control it a little bit. And is it fair to say that in your work in general, you're attracted to what we were talking about earlier, which is complex characters, complex female characters? Yeah, uh, I am. I think, I think I'm trying to show real, real women, at least. And, and uh, they are sometimes yeah, doing stuff that you cannot agree with or that isn't necessarily nice, but, but they are real to me and I really love them. And sometimes I get like the comment that they are not likable or anything, but then I think, yeah, I, I really heard in your podcast touching on this subject before and it really, I, and I really thought like, oh yeah, maybe, maybe she's right. <laughs> maybe it's just real women and, and not necessarily unlikable women. We are used to seeing women being portrayed as angels and, and sometimes they're not. I think you're absolutely right. We've all been conditioned yeah. to expect certain things growing up, watch certain kind of films and it sort of jolts people out of their comfort zone, doesn't it, when they yeah. see something different. But if people want to see Dirty God, they will be able to see, so, see it in the UK, not just Glasgow Film Festival. Yeah, it will be uh, yeah. released, I think, in May. June, sorry, June. <laughs> Definitely go see Dirty God, I highly recommend it. Now, Sasha, I'd like you to join us for our next segment, if you will. Yeah. And this is the Bechdel test section. I'm going to ask Simran to explain it because um, she worked as a co-programmer of the Bechdel Test Fest for three years. And she also won a Women in Hollywood London Trailblazer Award for her work there. Bravo. Thank Would you, you like to explain <laughs> what it is? Sure. Um, so it's a, a rule that was made up by the cartoonist Alison Bechdel um, very famous queer writer and it was kind of started as a joke and basically the rule is that for a f something to pass the Bechdel test it has to include two characters who both have names who talk about something other than a man. <laughs> a lot of things fail this kind of funny jokey test and it's not really um, a litmus test for whether something is feminist or even whether something is good but it's a really interesting way to kind of look at representation uh, of women and, and kind of female characters that speak and have a voice across art and literature and films. So we're each going to choose one pass and one fail, but the idea is that, you know, the pass actually could be something you don't like and the fail could be something you do <laughs> like, and whatever, we, we will see. Um, so I will start with my pass, which is On the Basis of Sex, which is out at the moment. So it's Mimi Leder's film about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It stars Felicity Jones and Army Hammer, and um, it certainly is a pass because she discusses women's rights um, with her female students and with her daughter. But I have to say, I, while I was inspired by this film, I didn't love it as much as I wanted to. It, it, it tells a very inspiring story, but in quite a plodding fashion. So I would say that on paper, this is a pass, but it, it, it didn't absolutely grab me. One thing I did notice though, when I was talking to male critics is that, that they liked it even less. I think as, <laughs> as, a, as a, you know, fem, or let's say feminists, um, certainly found that the themes a bit quite rousing. Um, and, but it was interesting having this sort of, because at film screens, you often have a chat before and after movies. And um, I, did, I did notice quite a divide with some, one of the male critics I was talking to with Helen O'Hara just said, well, it's just boring. And we were saying, well, it's a bit plodding, but you know what, it's still got us here in our hearts. I'm going to move on to Alison and ask you what your past is. Uh, my past is, classic film, is Thelma and Louise. Um, not just because uh, of Brad Pitt, first time I'd seen Brad Pitt. Although that's um, part of it, right? That is part of it, yes. <laughs> You'll never forget that moment. We all, never, know, we all remember we'll that moment. We'll never forget that moment. <laughs> um, and for me, it's a past 
and a great film. So for me, it's a win-win situation. I'm sure everybody has th seen Thelma and Louise, and if you haven't, get out of the room right now. <laughs> um, just, just see it. It's a great film, two women on a road journey, but they talk about life, love, and they discover themselves on that journey. And so for me, that is a definite pass. I am curious, has anyone actually not seen Thelma and Louise? Because don't, don't be shy, okay, you have. <laughs> or maybe they're being shy because I actually told my sister-in-law to see it because uh -huh. she, she's about 10 years younger than me and I was like you haven't seen it you're kidding me and I gave it to her and she was just like texting me going oh my gosh <laughs> this is the best film ever I can't believe it I told you but what I find quite sad is that that after that film a lot of people are saying oh yeah right the future of cinema is women and feminism and female stories and we look that's here we are still trying to fighting to make more stories about I it I think it's just because we get all excited, but I mean, it, the thing with Elma Louise is it's just a good, it's a good film. It's a great film. So you can't expect every film that has two women in it to be great. Some films are just rubbish. But after Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels was such a big success, we saw a huge rash of, of money put behind gangster movies, some good, some not so good. Oh, and why? that's still going on. I have no on. idea, because Lock, Stock is so <laughs> awful. When you revisit it, actually, yeah. So awful. <laughs> not so great. But did we see a lot of money putting into stories about two women after Elma and Louise? I'm not sure that we did. Just saying. Um, let's move on to um, let's move on to Simran's past. What have you chosen? So I've chosen a film that uh, just came out this week. Um, it's called <laughs> Fighting with My Family, um, and it's written and directed by Stephen Merchant. Stars the brilliant Florence Pugh. It's based on a true story, and actually there was a Channel Four documentary about it. Um, some years ago and it's about a young girl from Norwich of all random places who uh, wants to be a professional wrestler and has been wrestling with her family um, and then gets the opportunity to sort of train with the WWE she meets The Rock The Rock is in the film that's a pro <laughs> Um, but what I thought was kind of lovely about this movie, first of all, I should say that my housemate and I had just seen the poster on the side of a bus and I looked at it and I just said to her, I was like, I'm probably going to have to write about that film. I just thought it looked rubbish and was just not interested and didn't know anything about it and was totally charmed by, by this, this lovely little film. And there's a, a kind of moment where Florence Pugh's character, who she's called uh, Soraya, and her, her sort of wrestling name is Paige, after Paige from Charmed, which I just think is <laughs> hilarious. Um, and she, she goes to Florida and she meets all of these sort of beach babes who are also wrestling and, um, you know, they're like former models and dancers and it's kind of cynical towards these other women at first and sets them up as her competition. And then it reveals that, you know, one of them's got a young daughter and another one um, is trying to like, you know, pay for school. And there are different reasons why different women do this thing and um, no one no one's reason is kind of more valid than the other and it's it sort of uh, challenges the idea that that there should be competition between between women I love that you brought that up because I that was one of the things I really liked about that film as well because I, I really enjoyed it I read it for sight and sound and yeah, the fact that they they're set up as competition but then and they're also judging each other with something you see right back in nine to five when people were judging Dolly Parton for having big tits and big hair you know and she's almost doing the same with these women but actually they're stronger together just like we are on Girls on Film. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we've actually got a trailer of Fighting the Family. Should we watch it? I think so. Let's do it. Good morning, wrestling nerds. 
This is where we see whether or not you get to go on to WWE. Oh, sorry about that. It's The Rock. We're huge fans. Thank you so much. What advice would you give us? We want to be the next you. What are your names again? My name. It doesn't matter what your names are. You walk around here interrupting The Rock. Here's a rock to bite. Shut your mouth. Straight out of the trailblazing, eyebrow raising, entertaining the globe, never hotter, talking to two rejects from Harry Potter. Thanks, Dwayne. Got it. You have to have the spark. It's what the audience falls in love with. I'm going to rearrange your team. If you're British, I'd be doing you a favor. Nobody's going to watch a timid little British girl wrestle. People liked it in Norwich. But here they have running water and electricity. <laughs> you, you kind of get all of the corny moments there, and it, it looks quite sort of, um, you know, heartwarming. And it is, but uh, it's much funnier and uh, wittier than, than that trailer makes it look, I think. But I think still the audience seem to be enjoying that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's good fun, yeah. yeah it, it is. It's, it's, a, it's a bit rough around the edges, but, but just like the characters it portrays, that's kind of part of its charm, I think. And it totally circumvents a love story arc for um, the Florence Pugh character. It just is only interested in her relationship to the sport, to her family, to the girls that she meets, to her coach to her kind of self-discovery, and I think that's really interesting that it just does that. Brilliant, okay, fight for my family. Now, Sasha, what have you chosen for your Bechdel test pass? I chose uh, Grenz, or Border is the English title, uh, by uh, Ali Abbasi, uh, and it, I chose it because I loved this film. I thought it was sort of the best film I saw <laughs> at the end of the year, and I, I don't want to tell you too much about it because I saw it completely blank and I didn't know anything about it and and I just thought it was sort of yeah mystical and romantic but also so strange and I thought there yeah I, I would love that there would be more films like this that are so sort of daring and uh, um, yeah I have yet to see it but everyone is raving about yeah. this how in what can you say in what way it passes the Bechdel test yep um, Tina, who's uh, played by Eva Melander, in, uh, who's the main character, she uh, talks with her senior investigator um, in a pornography case uh, and it, it, with one of the crime suspects and with one of the neighbours, so they're all so, women. Yeah, and it's a technical <laughs> pass, but more than anything, it's just a brilliant film by the sounds Yeah, of it. I just love the film. I want everyone to see this film. So. You're coming away with a lot of recommendations, people. I hope you're listening. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. And now I'm going to talk about our fails, films that fail the test, and they might be good, they might be bad, they might be somewhere in between. I've chosen Serenity. Has anyone seen this? Because it's like on Sky currently. Oh. Okay, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, I've seen this film. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. We could probably devote an entire episode to this bafflingly bad film. Don't you think? I mean, it's just terrible. I had to review it this week um, for The Observer, and I said to my editor, I could either give this film one star or three because, you know, it's so bad. But also, I had so much fun watching it. <laughs> because you're just thinking, what on earth are they going to throw at the screen next? I mean, it's, it's supposedly sort of set in a, a fishing village. There's a kind of a murder plot. This is, I think it's trying to be a noir. Like Anne Hathaway sort of rocks up to Matthew McConaughey, acting all noirish, but in a really embarrassingly bad way. It's like an erotic thriller made by M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, but, but so, so but therefore worse. really not erotic at all. Um, but I think it follows the general rule, like the quicker Matthew McConaughey takes his top off, the worse the movie. And I reckon we're about 10 minutes in in this one. And I, I think it fails because you have Anna Hathaway as the sexy noir femme fatale, and then have Diane Lane, who's this really, sort of really compliant cougar that's just sort of waiting around for you know, Matthew to knock on the door. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's just pretty awful. So, um, but it is entertaining to sort of watch and dissect, I think, it's with your friends. absolutely yeah. a hilarious film. Um, I can't tell you to spend your money on it. I can't do that. But, you know. Yeah, if you get the something. chance to see it after a couple of drinks with your mates and just, just go, what on earth are we watching? Then that's, that's the movie for you. Um, Alison, what have you chosen for your film? Um, I've chosen a film that we are showing, uh, Fight Club. Uh, and we're doing a pop-up with... Um, Lots of actual fighters. I, I'm not fighting, but um, <laughs> I've done enough fighting this festival. But yeah, I've chosen that because uh, it's definitely a fail for me, but also it's a film I really like. <laughs> so it's an odd dynamic in it. I just feel that it's just all about the two of them. And I feel so sorry for Helena Bonham Carter in this film because I just feel that she's there, but she's just a device. And there's a lot to say about masculinity, doesn't it? Which is something a lot. really interesting. And um, now, who's in it that I can't remember? Somebody fake meatloaf is in it, isn't he? Yes. Yes, because that always he has takes man me. Boobs. Yes, he does, and that always <laughs> takes me by complete surprise. And also, for me, the culture of um, that very American thing of that sort of support group. I'm so uncomfortable with that because I'm Scottish. I'm like, oh, I really, this is not working for me. It's too weird. Stop hugging each other, you know. Excellent choice. Simran, what have you chosen? I've only seen this film once, so I, I, it could maybe potentially pass it, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't on the basis of what it's about. It's a documentary called Minding the Gap by a first-time filmmaker named Bing Lu. It's uh, basically about Bing, who's in his sort of mid-twenties, and his two best friends whom he grew up with. And so they're a kind of multiracial group of friends. Bing is of, I think, Chinese origin, Pierre is black, and, and Zach is white. And they grew up together skateboarding. And it's all about kind of um, what happens when they become adults. Zach has a child, quite young. Um, they're in this very economically depressed bit of Illinois. But what's, what's kind of um, different about the film is that it has this other thread going on. It's not just about the sort of lightness of uh, skating, but it also has a really interesting subplot to do with domestic abuse. And so one of the characters, um, we sort of find out that he's been abusing his girlfriend and being violent with her. And another character, you know, he finds out that his mother was uh, domestically abused um, when he was growing up and he didn't really kind of have a good handle on what was going on. And what's really touching about this film, which is so kind of precise and sensitive and beautiful, is how it asks each character to reckon with how they've been complicit and how they've allowed this to happen, how they've turned a blind eye and, and how we don't always see the stuff that's right in front of us because we love people. It's about holding those contradictions in your head, someone that you love and that you have history with doing something really awful um, and how do you square that? And the film actually is quite interesting and challenging on that question. But it was nominated for an Oscar, um, there's a super cute picture of uh, all the guys from the film in their Oscar suits skateboarding and it's out at the end of the month on the 22nd of March. So definitely look out for it. Excellent, that sounds fantastic, thank you. Sasha, what have you chosen? I chose a film that I also really loved, uh, <laughs> Dogman uh, by Matteo 
uh, Garone, an Italian film about uh, Marce Marcello, who's a dog groomer um, and who lives uh, on a sort of coastal little village. And he has sort of a side job as a cocaine dealer. <laughs> and he supplies the whole village with, with cocaine. Uh, but there's also one guy, Simone, who terrorizes sort of the entire neighborhood and who has a, a, a drug problem. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I thought it was really, really s a strong film. And, uh, and necessarily, there are hardly any women in it, right? Yeah, so, he, there's yeah. his daughter uh, who loves him and he sort of, he becomes a, a drug dealer in order to, to give her sort of special scuba diving holidays. So he does it all for, for the love of his daughter. And then there is his, his ex-wife that is sort of, yeah, you don't, you, you almost don't see her. She drops off the daughter at the door and then leaves. And uh, I thought there was sort of one conversation between them, but there's no sound. He sort of switched <laughs> off the sound, so you see them from the, from the perspective of uh, Marcello. Mm. So they, they leave. And then there is uh, Simona's um, mother. Uh, and she's actually stronger than this, this, this terrorizing guy. She is sort of, she's a strong character, but those are the female roles and, and it's a really a masculine film. Yeah, it's a, it's a very masculine movie, but it's a brilliant one. I agree yeah. with you. It's a great choice. I'm, I'm on the jury of the Palm Dog in Cannes, which is the, <laughs> the, award, the award for the best canine performance. And that one, that little chihuahua, <laughs> that one, I think it was much yeah. deserved. The, Marcello, the guy, the actor actually came and picked up the award. It's brilliant with a standing dog, not okay. the real one. Okay. Yeah. yeah, great choice. Thank you all for your Bechdel Just choices. That was fascinating. Um, now, audience, let's hear from you. If you've got anything to say, anything to ask, there is a roving Mike, put your hands up and we will speak. Right in the front row here, shall we? Yes. Yeah. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Yes, I don't absolutely. sound weird, no. <laughs> I just wanted to ask a question. Um, you were talking about the new Ghostbusters sequel that's coming out, which has been directed by Jason Reitman. Correct me if I'm wrong, you didn't seem, I don't think you were too thrilled at the fact that as a sequel to a classic film um, and that it was being directed by a man. Now, I don't know if it was maybe a bit contradictory from the point of view that the remake that was out a few years ago um, was a remake of a, a classic movie and it was directed by a man. Um, what would you say to someone who said you were maybe being a bit contradictory or hypocritical from the point of view that you seem to quite enjoy that film um, and the fact that it was being directed by a man? Some would say that just because you're a man you can't make a great feminist movie. Um, for example, Take Thelma and Louise, that was made by Ridley Scott. Um, what would you say to those two I, I, important I'm points? I don't particularly object, have any objection to the fact it's directed by a man. I really am, I'm just looking for great films, so it doesn't really matter, but I've got a feeling that this is not going to be a great film, and I don't see the need for it particularly, so that's my lack of interest perhaps. In it. I mean, maybe I can clarify for you. I also think it's pretty annoying that Paul Feig directed the feminist female reboot of Ghostbusters, not because he didn't do a good job or because men can't make feminist films, of course they can, but if you're going to go for the whole marketing shtick, if you're going to do the sort of making money cynical remake and do the gender flip, you might as well have a female director as well, otherwise I think there's something almost contradictory there. And yeah, I think the film is fine. I didn't think that reboot needed to be made either. And maybe because that first remake was made by a man, maybe it would be an opportunity for you know, a woman to kind of come in and, and make this film. 
um, and that opportunity is not being given to women. It's been given to a full random people, Jason Reitman. <laughs> so that's my take on it. But yeah, I d obviously it goes without saying all of us know that, that men can make great movies about women and women make great movies about men all the time as well. It just seems that when the, the, the impetus to make something is to cash in on feminism, you know, it just shows how sexist Hollywood is that they can't even be bothered to have a female director. Well said, Simran. I don't need to add to that. I'm Alison. Thank you both. Very good. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Next question, right. What would you say about the fact that if you have a female-driven comedy cast, like in Ghostbusters or Bridesmaids, I remember when, that, when those were marketed, they kind of were like, it's a female-driven comedy. Um, I think women are now coming into a time when women in comedy are becoming more common, but you still see them kind of classified not as comedians or a comedy it's a female comedy like you watch hangover and they didn't say it's a male driven comedy <laughs> so just want to see if you guys thought about that well i think yeah you make a valid point obviously you know unfortunately we haven't come far enough that it still is a novelty and it still has to be pointed out but i'd actually like to hear from sasha on this because do you get bored with people sort of saying oh you're a female filmmaker or you deal with female subjects yeah people always ask me why uh, i'm making a film again with a female protagonist Right. And then I thought, I just thought, could you also ask the question if you would do like, if you had like three films with black men, would, would an interviewer ask you, uh, isn't it about time that you make your next film with a white male? Uh, I mean, it's not possible, right? I mean, I think it's such a strange question, but I think uh, women do a sort of, they have this thing that they are uh, seen as not really particularly funny, I think, that's sort of sticking onto female comedians, so I think that's why. I mean... <laughs> yeah. yeah, sadly, yeah, that still exists, doesn't it, that stereotype? Clearly not true. Right, good question, thank you. Um, any others? Hi, it's been touching a bit um, about likeable female protagonists, but I was wondering how important you think it is for, at least currently, for female protagonists to be likeable. Like, when will we get to a point where they can be flawed and kind of annoying? Because you, you get a lot of male protagonists that can be flawed and you disagree with them and it's fine, but at the moment it's sometimes it feels like a deterrent to watch something if a female character isn't perfect. We just need to have more and more of these stories, I think. That's just a numbers game, isn't it? Just yeah. keep making them, do you think? Yeah, just, yeah. I, I think that, that, that we, we, we just want realistic um, portrayals. The, the, the previous question about the female comedies, that's a marketing ploy, I think, um, for these films because um, obviously we have our own money now. Um, so that's really nice for us uh, to spend uh, <laughs> at the cinema. And uh, yes, yeah, so that's a marketing ploy. I think that's why they say that funny female comedy. I think um, we just need to see more films directed. And I know there's lots of lovely screenwriter ladies I was talking to. Go girls. I said that to you the other day. I want to see your stories on my screen at GFT. <laughs> I want to see those stories that are just real stories about women. You know, obviously I arrive perfect every day at work, you know, but that's obviously not the real story uh, when I wake up every morning. <laughs> I think with, with um, this idea of complicated or unlikable women, those stories are out there. I, I don't think that there is a lack of them. I just think that the stories that get highlighted are not always those ones. Mm. So maybe if you're feeling like you're hungry for those kinds of films and you're not seeing them, um, look outside of Hollywood. Um, mm. Look at world cinema, look at documentary, look at independent cinema and uh, sniff around, kind of ask people what they think and, and go 
further afield and I think you'll find that, that those stories are out there. For me I see a lot of those stories because I programme the Glasgow Film Theatre and we don't do mainstream cinema so for me those stories are there and we show them on our screen. Um, female filmmakers here might be interested to know that um, I am a judge on a new initiative I'm very excited about. It's Bumble's Female Film Force. It was a competition that launched last year and they're launching it again this year and broadening its scope. Um, so Bumble will give um, the, the five winning teams of female filmmakers 20 grand each to make a short film, which is pretty good money for a short film. So head over to the Bumble website if you fancy taking part in that. And I think it's wonderful to see brands putting their money behind this kind of thing so great stuff thank you audience first of all very much indeed for being here thank you glasgow film festival thank you sasha thank, thank you, you alison and thank you simran and thank you for my team jane long Hedda archbold and everyone involved today thank you very much Thanks for listening. The next episode of Girls on Film will be coming on Friday the 8th of March, International Women's Day, when we have a very special guest star for you. Meantime, don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes and follow me on Twitter at Anna Smith Journo. Ghostbusters, what do you want?